This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Hyde. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Got an interesting show today because I know you guys have always gotten such a kick out of my uh, existential journey, right? Yes. I, I don't know if I've gotten a kick out of it, but I've been interested that you have, you've done a lot with a lot of people and done a lot of retreats and, you know, done a lot of trainings, and I find it fascinating. Yeah, and uh, vision quests and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, our guest has done a few things of those things, too, and it's going to be interesting in talking to her about her book. Uh, After this, when life is over, where do we go? The big question, where do we go? Mm. I like that. And like you said, Mom, we are going to be talking today with Claire Bidwell-Smith, and she is a therapist specializing in grief and the author of The Rules of Inheritance. And as you said, after this, when life is over, where do we go? Claire has written for the New York Times, the Huffington Post, Slate, Chicago Public Radio, and more. She currently works in private practice in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, Claire. Well, tell us, our audience, how you got started in wondering when life is over, where do we go, and writing your book after this. Well, I experienced a lot of loss early in my life. Both of my parents got cancer when I was 14, my mother died when I was 18, and my father when I was 25. But in terms of after this, um, it was actually in between those two losses. One of my best friends got sick with leukemia and died within a year of her diagnosis. And it's a really different experience to watch a peer face death. And um, we were all about 20, 21 years old when, when my friend Julie was dying. And Julie wanted to talk about death and dying, and no one around us knew how to do that. And even even the grown-ups in our community at the time really didn't know how to how to support Julie in her questions and conversations about dying. And my mother had died a couple of years before, and although it was a scary topic for me too, I was I was also curious about it. So Julie and I would hold these kind of secret death conversations. Um, because everyone else would admonish us for, for being negative or, um, you know, just talking about dark things when we should be focusing on Julie getting better. But she had these questions, you know, she didn't have any firm beliefs and she really wondered where she was going next and if there was going to be anyone there to meet her or, you know, just all these big questions that anyone would naturally have um, when facing when facing the end of their life. And... So towards the end, um, before she died, I promised her a couple of things. Um, I promised her that I would name a child after her if I ever became a mother Mm -hmm. and that I would also go to see a psychic medium and try to find out if she was okay. Mm -hmm. And they were these kind of youthful promises, you know, just these distraught, emotional, out of love for my friend. Um, But cut to about 10 years later, I'm living in Chicago and I'm working in hospice as a grief counselor and I've become a mother. And um, I've had a little girl, and I and I didn't name her after Julie. Um, and so I realized, I just had this moment, where it was about 10 years after Julie's death, and I realized that I hadn't made good on either of my promises. Um, and so on a whim, I, I booked an appointment with famed psychic medium John Edward, and I flew to New York to see him. 
And I was really scared of this. Um, I was scared of a lot of things about this. One, um, just kind of like the credibility factor. I was, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. I was looking as a, a counselor for hospice. I didn't know anyone in my field who was talking to psychic mediums. Um, and in fact, they were disparaging it, right? <laughs> if they yeah, weren't. I, I was afraid mm-hmm. to tell anybody. I yeah. didn't tell anyone what I was doing. Um, I made my reservation under a fake name. Um, I, I just didn't tell anyone. And, and you talk um, about that in your book, and it's really an interesting description of that experience. It's a, You're a great writer. It was lots of fun reading about it. Well, I was really nervous, you know. I, I really didn't know what to expect. I'm I'm pretty practical and grounded and skeptical and very, very curious, though. I've always been a curious person about everything, even if I can't quite understand it, how it works. Um, but the other thing I was, I was nervous about two other things. I was really nervous um, for the people who were going to be at this reading. They were going to be 15 people at the John Edward reading. And I was really scared for them. In my head, I thought they must be in such a place of desperation in their grief to be paying $500 to go see a psychic medium. And they must be really, really feeling a lot of pain and sadness over their loss. And so I felt this protectiveness over them, particularly like as a counselor who counsels people all the time were grieving, I just thought, oh, these people must be really hurting. So I was kind of worried for the people there. Then the third thing I was really afraid of was that it would maybe be real. And then what would I do? I would have to change my whole belief system (laughs) Um, or at least deconstruct it. And so this was what set me off on the journey of this book. And um, I go through that visit with John Edward in the first chapter. and um, A lot of a lot of my fears did come true and didn't come true. Um, it was much more real than I imagined it would be, and I did have to come home and kind of start to reconfigure how I see the world. Um, I was pleasantly And you surprised. went on to see James Praga, who's very famous, second to John Edwards, you say, and then you, you talked to a rabbi, and you talked to the people at the Zen Grief Project. I was interested in hearing about the, the guy who runs that. Very interesting. And uh, what I wanted to ask you and what Heidi and I were wondering, I mean, you have a whole list. You've really been uh, past life regression, you know. I know, I really went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) And I wanted to know what, you know, you you did a lot in Sedona. And it's very interesting if you want to think about, you know, people who are listening want to think about taking some of these journeys and, and doing past life regression and that kind of thing. You've really done a, a nice job of talking about it. And I and I wondered, now that you've gone through this, you've written the book, and what have you found out? Where mm-hmm. are you? Where, what is after this? Um, I did not figure out a definitive answer to what happens when we die. <laughs> um, But I did find what I found, which was what I was looking for, was a a greater sense of peace about um, what happens when we die and what happens when we lose people. I felt a much, um, I discovered and found a a much greater sense of connection to those that I've lost and to the idea of another side or the idea of something much bigger than our lives here. And that's been very healing for me. Now, you know, you lost both your parents, and you write these lovely letters to your daughters. That's a mm-hmm. whole, you know, other piece of the book. You know, I was saying to Heidi, one of the things that I wanted to ask you a little bit about is, you know, what is your thought about can you soften the trauma of grief or losing a parent, do you think, a mother, 
through any kind of the things that you've done or any understanding for people that are listening to this show and, and are suffering? I think you can soften it. Um, I think that it's a really it's a really huge loss to lose a parent, to lose particularly a mother. It really it has a big impact on your sense of identity. Um, I think especially for women who lose mothers, um, your sense of your sense of womanhood is is forever kind of altered. Um, but there's so much that I think I think once you are able to move through the real initial deep pain of it which takes time. It takes a lot of time. Um, I think trying to find ways to stay connected, find ways to feel connected to your lost loved ones. That was something I wasn't able to do for a really long time. Um, when I was younger, I was in a lot of pain and I, I just didn't believe in anything, um, at all. And it it almost felt more painful to believe in something because I had, you have to be quite vulnerable to to have faith, right? You have to be Uh open and, and inquisitive well, you, and you're certainly vulnerable to, you know, you go to the people that you went to and open yourself to, you know, listening to these things and uh, trying some of the activities like past life regression and that kind of thing. And, and I'm and wondering, you, yeah. um, with that in mind, Julie, I know you guys have talked about, I mean, I'm saying Julie, because she's on my mind right now. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. after doing all this, where do you believe that your parents and Julie are? I think that um, I think our souls do continue on in some fashion beyond our physical selves. Um, I think that where they are and what they are is is so hard for us to comprehend in our in our human dimension. Um, I think there's a great beauty in being human. I think one of the things that was interesting to me. I did some shamanic journeys in, for this book, and and I, I had I had one of my so a couple of my most spiritual moments during that where I really felt. I felt a sense of myself beyond my physical form. And what that caused me to realize was how limited we are in our, in our physical form and, and how much beauty there is to that though. I kind of came back to myself um, and, and I had this new appreciation for the limits of, of just humanity and the, the pain and the suffering we go through and how there's actually something quite, quite meaningful and beautiful about it. Um, and so I, I don't, I can't exactly describe where I think that they are, um, because I don't think that we can comprehend it. I don't think that wherever they are is something that we have any real understanding of. But I do believe that they um, are still connected to us in many, many ways. So it sounds like your belief system, Claire, changed as you've interviewed all these people and took these journeys, and that you had more peace, and that that you also feel like your parents and Julie are, are with you in some way and there's still a continuing connection. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. It was hard though. You know, I went into it really skeptical and really um, just almost resistant. And it, there was, a, if, when you read the book, you'll see like my, you see my kind of breakdown towards these things and my kind of softening and the openness that I had to come to with it. And each, each realm I, I delved into, be it Judaism or sh- shamanism or, seeing these psychic mediums, um, opened me up and cracked me, um, just open a little bit more in, in terms of accepting these things. I mean, my whole thing is I, I just think that we should feel more free to talk about death and explore death and explore the meaning of life. Um, we put a lot of restrictions around ourselves, um, on, on that kind of exploration well, either. Go ahead. I love that you and Julie had these conversations. It was amazing. 
I mean, yeah. and, and that you guys sat down and she said, you know, do you think someone's going to meet me when I die? And I feel like as you kind of touched a little bit on, you were able to go there with Julie because your mom had died several years earlier and you were no stranger to death yourself. Right. I mean, I feel like there's a hunger and a thirst to talk about these things. One of my favorite things about working on this book was for five years, whenever I talked about working on the book, people would want to talk to me. They're like, oh, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my ghost story or my death story. Or I would just ask everyone, what do you think happens when we die? And everybody has a different answer. And we never talk about it enough. You know, it's been so much fun. And I just wanted to demystify it. Like, it doesn't have to be this big, heavy thing all the time. Um, like there's a, there's a portion of the book where I have a seance in my house with a bunch of friends and, you know, normally for people, they're like, Whoa, I wouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's pretty creepy. Or like, I don't want to mess around with that. But it's like, what happened that night was first of all, nothing like we did, we did not <laughs> conjure the dead, but we had this amazing time talking about people we had lost and, and, and I learned stories about my friends that I didn't know and people that they had loved. And, and we just took time to honor people that weren't here and that mm-hmm. felt so significant and meaningful. Now, if there, if I'm listening and there was one place that you would suggest I start if I want to explore this, where would it be besides reading your book, which is a good place to start? <laughs> well, I would start by first asking yourself what you think happens when we die, and then asking yourself the second question, which someone asked me while I was working on this book that really like startled me and disarmed me. A friend of mine, I, I told him about the book and he said, I asked him my question, what do you think happens when we die? And he just turned to me and he said, Claire, what do you want to happen when you die? And I thought, wow, I've never really let myself think about that. I've had all these ideas put on me uh, about what I think I'm supposed to think mm-hmm. should happen, but what do I really want? And then go from there in terms of what that means about you and your life and your connections and kind of follow your own rabbit hole, see where it leads you. I love that. Now, I I was interested in your husband came to, like, uh, some of the things with you, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that is kind of hard. Sometimes you have a spouse who is totally not believing or, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, in some ways it was helpful. Um, his skepticism was something to kind of, like, bounce off and gauge, like, where I was and my level. And um, I definitely am, like, in a realm talking and working in a realm that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. But um, I think that there's a real shift happening culturally. Um, you know, if you, the, you mentioned B.J. Miller and the, and the Zen Hospice. Like, that's been a real mm-hmm. movement. B.J. had a TED Talk that came out in September that's had, like, a couple of million views about dying a good death. And, and I think, you know, there, there really is a bigger conversation kind of just rumbling underneath the surface for our culture. You know, I want to, I want to read something uh, from your book. I, I should have asked you to read it before, but I, I think it's really key. And it's on page 93. It says, in the past two years, I've seen countless mediums. I have danced in shaman circles, channeling my inner power animals, traveling to different realms. I have meditated. I have tried to commune with spirit guides. All of these experiences to help me finally relinquish the hold my rational mind has on my experiences. I just don't care anymore if I'm making this stuff up. And even if I am, I have seen that there is validity in the experience with one way or another. I think that is a fabulous Mm -hmm. paragraph. I love that. 
I really do, Claire. Thank you. Yeah, that you know, that was really the answer I came out of the whole thing with was like, I don't care anymore if it's real. Like <laughs> what's really valuable to me, but what's really valuable to me is that there is healing when you feel a sense of connection. Um so I've I've seen people go through transformative moments in their grief process after having felt like they connected with their lost loved one. And I don't know how that's really any different than taking an antidepressant or, you know, empty chair gestalt therapy, you know, like if, if it's making you feel better um, in a non-harmful way, then I think that there's a lot of value in that. And um, if we can't prove it, that we're definitely connecting with the other side, just feeling like we do is, um, is meaningful. You know, when, when I talk to you and when I read the book, I have to tell you, I smile. I, I think there's a lot of fun in it too. And, and a lot of joy. <laughs> Thanks. I had fun. Yeah. I had a blast. I had a lot of fun. It was funny. It's such a weird world, you know, like the afterlife kooky world of it all. Mm-hmm. When I went down to Casadega, Florida and went like door to door to see all those psychic mediums and it was like ghost hunting equipment in the, in the, in the bookstore. And it's, it's a pretty, it's, you know, it's pretty fun. <laughs> well, listen, tell people how they can get a hold of you. I know you got a private practice in LA and, uh, and you've got a, a website, and you've got a New York Times bestselling book. We've got that one, too, and it is a fun book. And Are they making a movie out of it, The Rules of Inheritance? Yeah, that one um, has been optioned, and the new one has also been optioned as well. Um, oh. And after this has been optioned, yeah. But I have a private practice here in Los Angeles, and my website is uh, com. And I host lots of retreats, writing retreats, grief retreats, and clients in my private practice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and for all you've done to make people think about their lives, and it's really important. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks, Claire. I cannot wait to see the movies, and I love what you said on your website at the end. It says, what we believe about what happens next affects everything about how we live and love right now. Thank you so much, Claire. Hmm. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the show today. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. And Heidi and I always want to remind you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.